29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles. He sat at his right hand. His own eyes saw Jesus transfigured. The very heart of Christ was poured out to him, and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. I'm going to start by telling you something that happened when I, that I reflected on um, as, I, as I started into this lesson. I started in this lesson and as you saw in the questions, it was asking what the definition of a coward was. And the reason that was there is because as soon as I started into this lesson, I thought of what happened to me as a little boy. And the biggest coward I have ever seen was my dad who left my mom. I was two years old. My mom had four kids under the age of four at this point. And my dad pulls up to my grandma's driveway, drops the four of us off and drives away and never comes back. Never sent us a penny, never called, never sent clothes, never did anything, just drove away and never came back again. I can't believe that. I, I just, it blows my mind to this day uh, that he would do that. His desire to run away from the hard work of a family did so much damage to our family, so much damage. Spent most of my life trying to overcome the emotional uh, backlash of that thing. And I honestly just can't understand how a man can leave his wife and children. I just can't. I can't wrap my head around that. And when I look at, back at that, I look at that and think, that's a coward right there. That's what a coward looks like. And when I saw Pontius Pilate doing what he did, that's what it made me think of. So I wrote those questions because that's what was on my heart. And then I finished lamenting that. And the next thing popped into my head, which was, well, Bill, you've ripped up your dad. How about you? When have you been a coward? And then it got sobering. And I thought, wow, when have I been running from doing what was right? And honestly, that was a long list. I could sit here probably for 20 minutes going through a list of places where I have run and where I do run. I've told you one of them. When I was 17, I got a girl pregnant that was 15 years old, and I did nothing. I said nothing. I did nothing. I forced her to figure it out, and I just walked away. I was not a lick better than my own dad. I'm a coward. When have you known the right thing to do, but you just didn't do it? Plato said in 400 BC, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. And Jesus said in 33 AD, I am the light of the world. Tonight, we see Pontius Pilate act like a true coward because he was deeply afraid of men. And those men were afraid of Jesus, the true light. But then we saw Jesus act with unmatched courage. And Jesus said, there's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for your friends. Jesus endured a brutal death to demonstrate his endless love for us. And the Apostle John wrote these stories down so we could clearly see how fear fuels a coward and how love fuels courage. So I'm praying tonight for you guys and for me that we'll want to face our fears and become a man whose courage changes the world instead of ruins it. Let's go to God and ask him to pray with us and walk with us through this time. Heavenly Father, I need your help right now. 
I don't know why, but there's this fear in me, and it feels like I want to be a coward. And I don't want to be. Give me something I need right now. I need you, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord. Walk with me through this. Lord, help me not get in the way. I don't want to get in the way of what you need to say. Help me get out of the way, Lord. Help these guys hear you, Father. And Lord, I pray that these guys will just turn off their phones for 20 minutes. Stop touching it. Stop grabbing it. Stop looking at it. And listen to you. Lord, help them listen to you. Talk to them, Lord. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. In John 19, 1 through 16, Pilate sentenced Jesus to death. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He said it at least three times. Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, used the fears of Pilate to kill Jesus. Pilate was afraid of the crowd, and he was afraid of those Jewish leaders. Pilate was afraid of the Roman emperor's response to a potential riot. He was afraid of the emperor might hear that he let a king try to usurp his authority in some way. Pilate was afraid Jesus may, in fact, be God. But despite knowing all of that truth, Pilate sentenced an innocent man to death. Pilate was a coward. He is a coward. He was a coward. The definition of a coward is a person who knows what is right, but chooses not to do the right thing because he's afraid. Fear of people makes many of us act like cowards. Many of us fear our spouse, our parents, or our children. We avoid conflicts with them. So we fail to protect even our children from simple things like their cell phones, social media, poor food choices, exercise, just so we can avoid the pain of a conflict with someone in our family. We don't oppose bad values at work or in church when we're hearing them. We're like, that's wrong. We just stand there and say, no, no I, I, I ain't getting in that, man. I don't need that pain in my life. We don't push back against emotional bullies in our relational circles. And you know what I'm talking about. There's people that just flex, men and women, and we just sit back and watch them do it. We don't speak when we see injustice. We just kind of nod and look the other way. We rarely share Jesus with anyone because that's awfully difficult and very humiliating at times. Some of us Christian men seem to think we must avoid conflict to be good Christians. Man, I see this so much, you guys, so often. And it shows up when we start to see how broken we are. When that gets clear, all of a sudden we get scared because we think the Christian crowd hides that stuff, and we do. We don't want people to see our broken stuff. And when we see it, we often call it out on other people and make them feel bad for showing it. So what do we do? We hide it some more. And then over time, we become afraid of the very people that should be helping us overcome it. We slowly become cowards as Christians Avoiding what's difficult simply because we're afraid of other Christians. When do you act like a coward? I know one way for me that I act like a coward. I complain about people instead of confronting them. It's easier to criticize than to meet and confront the person. I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I can hear it in my own head. What are you doing? Stop doing that. That's wrong. But I do it anyway. That's a coward. Here are a few other ways to know when you act like a coward. You won't make a decision and you force someone else to do it instead of you and you watch it happen. You beat around the bush when you talk. You like to sugarcoat things because you don't want to offend. You avoid discipline of your children or even worse, your employees that are causing problems in your, in your business. You often say, 
I don't know. I didn't know. I wasn't told when you actually did. You frequently avoid conflicts or confrontations. You don't ask for help at a store or directions when you're lost. That's being a coward, guys. You say things to flatter people to avoid saying the hard things that you really know you should have said. You look for and often take the easy way out. You postpone hard work until it becomes a crisis, then make everyone around you think it is a crisis. You downplay a person's pain when you caused it. You discredit feedback by criticizing the messenger for how they confronted you and not accepting the message. And then you have a pattern of using your past to justify your unwillingness to face those who hurt you or to stop doing things like looking at porn or getting drunk. What fear keeps showing up that causes you to behave like a coward? What is that fear? Don't be mad at the messenger. Listen to the message. In John 19, 17 through 27, the story shifts from the coward and focuses on the unmatched courage of Jesus. Jesus was falsely accused by Caiaphas, Herod, and Pilate, and he didn't fight back. He knew this was the cup of God's wrath, and he knew it was his alone to experience, to experience the intense fear of Roman torture. Jesus was flogged first, and if you haven't watched flogging, watch The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Go watch it. You need to. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. It's what happened. It was perfected by Rome. Takes men right to the brink of death so that they could crucify him and they would die. It's brutal. They use whips with lead balls embedded with bone and metal so the balls pound on the flesh to soften it and the metal and the, and the bones rip it apart as it softens. 39 lashes. 39 lashes, they found out, was the perfect number to take the man right to the brink of death. The blood loss and the fluid loss was so high. Their, their whole intestines, their backs ripped open, laid open, bowels often coming out of them. They're so beat up and so bloody, you can hardly recognize them. The blood loss is so intense, you can barely see the ground. And the person is barely alive. This is what Jesus went through. He lost so much blood. Most of his blood was gone at this point. He died a bloody, gruesome death that started right there. Jesus was then taken to Golgotha, Aramaic, for the place of the skull. In Latin, that word is calvarium, and so this is where we get the word calvary, the place of the skull. Jesus was nailed to the cross, but to get there, he had to carry this wooden beam on his back. It was so heavy. It wasn't the whole cross. The vertical, the vertical part was already in the ground, but the horizontal part he had to carry. But he was so lost in blood, they had to take it off and put it on Simon. And Simon carried it the rest of the way because Jesus could barely make it. He had ripped the purple robe off of his bloody body. The robe had been dried from the heat and been on for hours, and now they ripped it off of his body to reopen the bloody wounds and to inflict even more pain. The nails put in were put in just in the right place. They knew right where to put them. These Roman men were experts at torture. They put them in just the right place. So they pierced the, 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 the nerves in just the right angle so that every time he, he moved up to breathe, because his arms were hanging, you had to exhale to breathe. So he had to lift up to breathe. And every time he went up, 
The pain shot through his wrists and his legs, all the way through his body, every single breath. It was excruciating pain, excruciating pain. There were three crosses, Jesus in between two criminals. One died unsaved that day, and he went to hell because he sat and mocked Jesus. The other died saved. He entered paradise with Jesus that very day, and the only thing he did was acknowledge that Jesus was innocent, that he was guilty, that he, the criminal, was guilty, and that Jesus was truly God. That's all he said. You're innocent. I'm guilty, and you must be God. Please welcome me into your kingdom. This scene was so beautiful because then Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, this day you'll be with me in paradise, brother. That makes it so clear, you guys. Jesus says people are saved based on what they believe, not on their body of work. This isn't college sports. We get really hung up on theology, baptism, and words that we use. This guy had no time to get any of that stuff right, not any. Yet, he's right there with Jesus today. He didn't know whether he had to get baptism dunked or sprinkled. He didn't know what sanctification meant. He didn't know a cuss word was a bad word. He didn't know any of that. He was probably cussing the whole way there. And it didn't matter. None of it did. Not a lick. I'm shocked, you guys. I'm honestly shocked by how often I see Christians fighting and angry and attacking and vindictive towards each other over all of those things I just described to you. You don't got it right. That's not how you should behave. You said it this way. You do that. I've watched you live. You're not clean enough. You're not good enough. You don't say the right words. You say bad words. You don't, on and on it goes. I watch it. I can't believe my eyes. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Why do you attack each other? You're all saved. You believe in me. Stop it. What do you really care about? People acting like good Christians or saving those who are dying right next to you? Honestly. In John 19, 28 through 37, Jesus died a bloody and painful death. Jesus cried out to God. He said, why? Why do you forsake me? And during that moment, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath and all of the evil of sin of the world from past, from going forward, all the evil and sin of the world was on him at that moment. Every ounce of it, everything you did, everyone ever did from now going forward and in the past, it all landed on him. He could see it all. The murderers, the rapists, the thieves, the punitive people, those people that just raped children. He could see it all. He could feel it all. It was on him. Every ounce of it landed on him. He's looking at it with his own eyes. He can feel the weight of it on his body. It's ripping his soul apart. You're telling me that's not terrifying? That's terrifying. How much more terrifying could it be? All of the evil, all of those people burned in the, in the Holocaust, oh, on and on, the people butchered in Russia, all of the people in Africa slaughtered. He can feel all of it. He can feel it. He can see it. He can smell it. It's on him. God said, it's all on you. That's my wrath. <sighs> and you say, oh, he died for my sins. Really? That's all he did? You couldn't take that. No one could take that wrath. But he did. 
All of it was on him in that moment when he said, why did you forsake me? And he said, because I got to put this on you. I, I, I can't believe what I got to do. Wait till you see this evil. You're not going to believe it. No one knows exactly what happened to Jesus during his death and resurrection. But we know this was the greatest act of courage ever displayed by a man. And what we do know is he completed the only pathway to God in that moment. He completed it in that moment. His blood replaced the wine in the cup of God's wrath. In Leviticus 17, God said, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. God himself demanded the blood of his son to pay for the sins of mankind. It was his decision. Jesus created man, and he became man. And God said, you are the only created being valuable enough to pay for the sins of all of these that have been created. And Jesus said, it's finished. Jesus gave up his life in that moment to complete the task for which he was sent. And when he started this work, Jesus said, I didn't come to contemn this world. I came to save it. And Jesus completed that very work when he died. The only way this act of courageous love has any purpose is if people respond. You must cry out. You have to respond. It has no value if no one responds. So you have to respond. You must cry out. you got to tell him, I see the evil in me that's been put on you. I see it in me. I see it. And tell him, it's not going away. Even when I try to stop, I try. I can't stop it, God, and I see it. I'm so evil. I can't believe this stuff's coming out of me. Tell him you believe he's the only king you can save, who can save you. you got to look him in the eyes. Look at his eyes on that cross. You're the only king. Look at him on the cross. You're on the cross, too. Look at him and say, you're it. I believe you're the king. You're the only one that can save me from this evil that's inside of me because I see it in me. And you know you do. You sit in church and you look at the girl on the stage and you lust and you look at the singer and you hate him and you listen to the pastor and you criticize him right in church. You know you do. That evil's just lurking in there and it never stops. You know this evil. And he's saying, you can't take it away. You can't. You can't. You need me. And you got to believe that. And you have to ask him. You have to say, please take it away. I'll give it to you. I believe you're him. I see it in me. You're it. Take it from me, Lord Jesus, please. Give it to him right now, guys. If you haven't done it, give it to him now. Give him control of your life. Hand it over. Do it quietly in your heart now. Don't leave here tonight if you haven't. Don't say, man, I think I am, but you aren't. Don't do it. If he's calling you now, do it now. Say it now. Call out to him now. Accept this death to pay for your evil heart. Because your heart is evil, man, and so is mine. What's sad is most of you are thinking, I believe I'm good to go. This is trite. Why are we doing this? Move on, Bill. Let's hear the rest of the lecture. But if we truly believe this, why don't we share it? If you truly believe that, why don't you tell anybody? This is the coward I see in myself. And I honestly, it's what I see in a lot of Christian men, a lot. Most of us are afraid of what people will think. You'd be hard-pressed to get most of us to admit it. We hate the word coward, and we'd never call ourselves that. We just simply lie to ourselves and say, yeah, yeah, I help a lot of people. I give money. I do a lot for the lost. 
No, you don't. We don't. We just lie to ourselves a lot, you guys. I watch all the time. I'm just part of you, too. We're all like this. If you really believe this story, you'd be telling people this story. The Apostle Paul said, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in this body, whether by life or death. I won't be ashamed. I'll speak. Who will you try to reach this week that you know is unsaved? Who will you tell the story to? Let's switch now to talk about this courage. We're going to end on courage, you guys. Followers of Jesus should be living courageously because Jesus was insanely courageous. Paul said, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. Jesus frequently told his disciples, do not be afraid, because he knew afraid makes cowards. Love drives you to act of courageousness. Fear tells you to stop. Love drives you to acts of courageousness. Fear tells you to stop. And when Christian men act with courage, guys, life changes. Things in this world get better. I've watched it. I've seen it. It happens. People heal from deep emotional wounds when they get courage. Truth is seen and heard when men speak. They have courage. Marriages get restored. I've watched one after another when men with courage say, I will not cave. I'm going to fight for my wife. Our children are protected from toxic culture and a life of anxiety when men get courage. Men stop killing themselves when they get courage. Men bring God to this world and we make a significant change. This world is better because men of God have courage. And Jesus is seen, he's heard, and he's known because men of God have courage. Courage is a character trait, guys. It can be learned. It can be learned. I spend most of my time helping men learn to love and to learn to have courage. This is what I spend most of my hours working on. I'm going to share with you a three-step process. And it sounds churchy. I'm sorry. I got no other way to present it. I'm an engineer. I think linear. My bad. That's all I got. But let me tell you what it sounds like. Get your emotional courage, find your physical courage, and then you'll find your spiritual courage. Get your emotional courage, get your physical courage, and then you'll find your spiritual courage. I'm telling you, this process, this path works. There's a great book written by Peter Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I would encourage you to read it. He describes some of this in really good detail. Does he use the same words I do? Same concepts. Emotional courage. Where do we get this? First, the guys in your Bible study, a lot of you guys have been with now, you're starting to know each other. These are guys you should form another group with now outside of here. And you should get together once a month to start doing what we call heart groups. And what we will provide you with are emotional words. You need a new vocabulary. And why? Because you need to connect your actions to your feelings to your fears. Your actions to your feelings to your fears. You have to make those connections. Most of you don't. You think you do. If you test your self-awareness, which Kyle and I and Taylor have all been tested, it's shocking how unaware of yourself you really are. I sit with a lot of guys. You think you're super self-aware. You're kidding yourself. You're lying to yourself. It's not what you think it is. You don't know yourself the way you think you do. You don't know what's going on with you. You're not connecting the dots between the way you act 
the way you feel and what you fear. And this process will help you learn that. You need that. This is a key change. It will help you to start to fix broken relationships. This is key. This is where courage starts to come from. Because as soon as you start to connect these dots, you start to feel something changing you. And the fear now has a parking lot. You know what it is. You can identify it. And then you can start to look at broken relationships and go, I think I can move into that. I can lean into that. Don't start with the hard ones. The hard ones are your mom or your, or your wife. Don't start there. Start with your friends in your group. Work on those relationships and then move to the harder ones. Guys with broken dad stuff, this is going to take you a year, two, three, four, five years. That's how long this takes. But you got to stay in it if you want to get courage in this space. You want to get out, you can stay the way you are and keep running and hiding. This is how it works. This works, this works really well. The second thing is physical courage. Move into a space where you can start to deal with your body both fitness and nutrition. And guys, I know there's a lot of you guys in here don't like hearing this. You're like, why do you gotta talk about that stuff? Why is it always gotta be physical? Men, we're physical. I don't care whether you're an athlete or not. You've got a body. Your body needs to be taken care of. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be healthy. You need to, you need to listen to your body. Your body needs to be taken care of. It changes a lot. Why? Because your physical body controls your hormones. Your hormones control your feelings. Your physical body controls your hormones. Your hormones control your feelings. Your feelings control your actions. That's the way it works. And if you're ignoring your physical body, you're making a huge mistake. And I see this over and over again. So find some guys in this group. There's a lot of fitness guys in here. Our goal is to get you to start working out together. Stop working out with your earbuds alone and in your basement. Bad move. Start getting with one other guy, working out with that guy, and start to share what? Your fear. What fears? The ones you have of your body. I don't like my legs. I think my arms are skinny. I got all this fat hanging off the side. I can't stand my man boobs. Like, start describing it to your buddy, right? I, I, I have cholesterol problems. I have diabetes. I got all these issues. My knee's broken. My head's hurt. My neck's broken. Tell the guy. You're carrying all that fear about your physical stuff, and it keeps you from doing what you need to do to take care of your body. That's cowardice. You have to move into this space and you will gain ground here. This is the second step where you gain ground. You learn how to be a courageous man by dealing with those spaces. This works, you guys. Once you start moving in the physical space, you move to nutrition. We'll connect you with a nutritionist. We'll put this gal named Anna Turner on our website. She's a great lady. I've been working with her a while. She's really good. And you can meet with her and she'll help you with your nutrition. We'll connect you. I've already connected some guys. She did a great job. And you'll do the same thing with your nutrition. Most of you guys think if you walk 10,000 steps, you're going to get healthy. Not true. Your diet is your biggest problem. Most of your diets is your biggest problem. It's what's going in your mouth that's causing you most of your problems. 80% of your health problems are your food intake. It's not your fitness level, it's your food. So, but it's hard to get started on food. It's easier to start on moving in motion. So start on the motion piece and then move to nutrition is step two in this. Trust me guys, I've been working on this a lot with guys. This process works, trust me. Last thing is spiritual courage. You're gaining courage in this relational space, which is where you gain most of your ground. In this relational space, you'll gain a ton of courage. You will feel courageous in this space. And then when you hit the physical space, it really amps up. And now spiritual courage. Now the spiritual courage comes. And now you find you've got this hunger to read the Bible. You've got this hunger to pray. You've got this hunger to serve. And now when you start doing that, guess what you start to hear? 
the Holy Spirit talking to you. Why haven't you heard him before? Because you've got so much emotional baggage and relational baggage and fears that you haven't worked out. How many guys played sports or did something in high school where you were really good at it, but when it came time to game time, you stunk? Or when it came time for your big performance, you stunk? Why? Because what was in your head? My, my coaches loved me. I was the best practice guy they had. I'm Ranger Rick at the golf course, man. Like, I got that game dialed in at the range. You get me on the first tee, I look like a complete idiot, right? I took the first snap from center uh, sophomore year in high school, and I, I, I freaked. What was between my ears was the problem, and that's the same problem we all have, is what's between our head is the problem. So you think, why don't I perform spiritually? It's because what's in your head and heart's all messed up. You're scared of everything, and you can't get your hands around it. You got no courage. So you can't do the spiritual thing. Platt's saying, hey, go to Africa, the 1040. You need to save all the lost people there. You're like, I ain't doing that. You shouldn't do that. You're, you won't save a lost soul here because you're scared to death to do it here. You think you're going to do it in some country where you don't know the language? Not going to happen. You're scared to death. You're not ready for that. You've got to build up some courage so when you hit the ground, you can handle the stuff that the spiritual world requires, which means you got to have courage. You can't walk into the local prison and start bringing people to the lost. You got no courage. Tell me, you can't do it. Doesn't work that way, guys. You got to get some courage to share Jesus. But once you follow these steps, you'll get it. It will come and you will feel courageous and you'll be energized and God will speak to you. The Holy Spirit will be talking to you and you will get after it. You'll be ready to go. Let me close with this thought. My, my real father left when I was two. My mom remarried when I was 10. And when my stepfather came into my life, he stayed with me till he died. And it cost him so much money and time and emotional pain, but he never backed down. Four kids, four kids he raised that weren't his own. It took so much courage for him to face what my biological dad ran from. Absolutely unbelievable what he did. I want to tell you his name was George Meyer, and he served in the Navy in World War II. And I am daggone proud to call him my Stepfather, his courage changed my life forever. Absolutely changed my life. What courageous man has changed your life? How can you allow God to transform your feel for heart tonight into one that is full of love and full of courage? Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Oh, Lord. Help us be men of courage. Help us not shy away tomorrow. Help us choose a path to practice and learn to become courageous men because Jesus, you were courageous. You died for me. Thank you. Lord, I pray for my dear brothers, Lord. Please be with them. Give them courage tomorrow, Lord. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 